Good afternoon. I'm Brenda Saperko, a cardiovascular nurse and a medical science liaison with Boston Heart Diagnostics. I'm sitting here today in our home in California to do an interview and record a podcast with my husband, Dr. H. Robert Saperko. Robert's career has spanned over almost 40 years, hasn't it? That includes lipid, cholesterol, genetic research, and most importantly, he's a fabulous teacher. So I've been fortunate to learn a great deal from him. He's worked at Stanford University at the Lipid Research Clinic. He worked at University of California, Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory. He founded Berkeley Heart Lab, the first laboratory company to commercialize advanced lipid testing. And now he currently works in Monterey, California. Um, Robert, today we're going to talk about LP Little A. And we were just at, in Chicago with the national guidelines were released from AHA and ACC. And we were both so excited to see so many important markers discussed there. So, Robert, why don't we start with what's new about LP Little A and the new guidelines? Well, thank you, Brenda. It was a very kind introduction. And indeed, a, a lot of really exciting things have, have happened recently. <clears throat> As you mentioned, we were in Chicago for the American Heart Association. And on November the 10th, they released the 2018 guidelines for the management of blood cholesterol. So this is like the old ATP 1, 2, and 3 that we've had. So it's a, a five-year update. And it goes into great detail about risk classifications and then <clears throat> what intensity of statin the patient should be put on. So we're not going to discuss that today. But one of the things I do want to mention is they uh, discuss a specific new issue called risk-enhancing factors. And so these are issues that, in addition to high LDL cholesterol, can make the risk of a cardiovascular event even higher. And one of those things, I'm pleased to say, is now recognized to be LP little a, LP parentheses, lowercase a, and parentheses. This has actually been around for a long time, but the American Heart Association and the American College of Cardiology have now indicated that in select individuals, an elk little a level over 50 milligrams per DL or 125 nanomoles per liter really exacerbates the underlying risk and is important to determine. I'm glad this has come up, but I have to say that the Europeans were ahead of us. In 2010, Borg Norstegard released the European guidelines for L. Little A and had specific guidance on who should be tested and for what reason based on numerous clinical trials. And in 2016, the Canadian guidelines were published. And in those guidelines, they recommended an L. Little A over 30 would be an elevated risk. So we're really pleased to see these now in the American Heart Association guidelines. So, Robert, let's let's give our listeners today a brief, simple, if we will, description of what is LP little a. Well, indeed, it can be simple or it also has some complexity. So the simple way to think of it is you have your low-density lipoprotein particle, a sphere, that has phospholipids and triglycerides and cholesterol and attached to it is a protein called protein B, as in Bravo. And it winds itself in and out like a snake, and it has a variety of functions. In some people, there's a second protein, 
attached to the B protein by disulfide link. And that protein is called little a or lowercase a protein. Now we have a capital A protein that hangs out on HDL particles. So this is not that at all. This is a very specific protein, which essentially is like this giant hair that's stuck on the LDL particle. And it's out there kind of flapping in the breeze. So the entire particle, the LDL plus the ApoB plus the lowercase a protein is called LP little a. <clears throat> and some of the, that that is a, a fairly simple explanation. The complexity of LP little a can be in the size of that Kringle. Do you want to mention that a little bit or save that for our next podcast? Well, I'll mention it a little bit. Part of the complexity indeed is that little a hair, that protein that I mentioned, uh, is made up of a series of curly cues where the protein wraps around itself, and they're called kringles, which is named after a Danish pastry called a kringle. And there can be four of those, or there can be 30 or 35 of those. So the length of the little a protein can vary from being relatively small to relatively long. It turns out that the smaller the little a protein in general, the more atherogenic. Now, this history of L little a has been around for a long time, and it's important, I think, for people to appreciate that we have 55 years of history on this, dating back to Carl Berg in 1963, who first elucidated that this L little a exists. And then Costner and his group in Austria in the 1980s, the early 1980s, showed that it was much higher in patients with coronary disease. In fact, a third of coronary patients have high levels. And then the same group in the late 1980s showed that if this is high, the risk of a cardiovascular event is about 2.5-fold higher. So this is quite significant. That's a huge increase in risk. And more recently, Angelo Scanu, who we just had a memorial for at the American Heart Association, did a lot of work in Chicago in the 1990s and actually showed that LP little a or the little a protein is homologous or very similar to plasminogen which opened up the possibility that maybe some kind of thrombolytic issue was involved in its atherogenicity. And then in the early 2000s, Santika Markovina worked a lot on the laboratory methods and, in fact, is the head of the NHLBI workshop on LP little a. And most recently, <clears throat> Borg Norstegard, as I mentioned, published the European guidelines in 2010. The Canadians came out in 2016. And Sam Tsimikas, a researcher at the University of California, San Diego, has done a lot of really exciting stuff, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. Yes, and I think um, <coughs> Dr. Tamikas has agreed to do a record a podcast and give us a little deeper dive on some of the treatments in the future. Well, we look forward to that. So is LP little a rare, and why is it important to know the levels? Well, no, it's not rare. That's the interesting part. In the general population at large, about 20% of people have elevated levels. In the population with coronary disease, it's about a third, 33 to 35%. Now, this is important to know because it's linked to so many bad atherosclerotic issues. First of all, it's an independent risk factor for heart disease, meaning your cholesterol can be high or low, and if you still have high opioid it's a major risk factor. It amplifies the risk of other risk factors. So if you have high LDL cholesterol and high opioid your risk shoots up really high. 
It's associated with peripheral vascular disease, such as carotid disease. Very importantly, premature coronary disease. And most recently, it's been shown to be involved with aortic valve stenosis and the rate of progression of aortic valve disease. So there's a lot of really important consequences for having high LPLA that you need to know about, particularly if you have it. <clears throat> so are there ethnic populations that are more prone to elevated LPLA? Is there a genetic link? Yes, this has been around for a long time. That It was noted that people of African descent have higher LPLA blood levels than people from Asia or European ancestry. And it was thought to be because there was a, a different size LPLA isoform or type. <clears throat> In other words, people of African descent had the larger type of LPLA than did Caucasians. But very recent work from the atherosclerosis risk in, intervention study has shown that even people of African descent, when they have high LPLA, indeed it's atherogenic. So we can no longer say that it's not a problem in people of African descent. It is. It's atherogenic. It's just what degree of atherogenicity it is. So yes, this is inherited, and it's inherited in a Mendelian dominant way, meaning that if you have high levels, 50% of your first-degree relatives will probably also have high levels. So involving the family in investigating high output lay is really a critical issue. So the guidelines do recommend that screening of LPLA as it enhances the risk. Um, is there a difference in genders with the associated risk? No, there, there's no real difference. This is not a, a gender-linked issue. So the inheritance of LPLA is not specific to men and women, and the atherogenicity is the same in men and women. Women are a little bit more protected because of the premenopausal estrogen issue, but I certainly would not ignore high LPLA in women. Well, you and I had the pleasure of working together in Family Heart Disease Clinic, and we routinely screened people with premature heart disease for LPLA, and then we would make the recommendation that their first-degree relatives are screened. The guidelines didn't go into that much detail. Is that still your belief that that's important to do in family members? Uh, yes, Brenda, this is critically important. And in fact, they are in the guidelines, but it's the European guidelines. So in the European guidelines, one of the critical reasons to measure LPLA is to have a first degree relative who either has premature heart disease or a history of high LPLA. So 10 years ago, this was actually the guideline recommendation. And at American Heart again, just this November 2018, there was a presentation on the importance of family history and high LPLA. So if you have a family history of coronary disease and you have high LPLA, your risk of a future cardiovascular event is hugely increased. And that was from the ERIC study. <clears throat> What do we say in general that the increased risk, the fold of increase, two to three? Yeah, the relative increased risk is between two to three. Initially, it was 2.46 fold. Other studies have shown three fold, but they're all within the two to three fold region. At Boston Heart, 
diagnostics, we report LP little a, we report it in milligrams per DL. And there are other, there's another method, there's um, nanomoles. Can you speak a little bit to the difference or the standard is the need to standardize that measurement? Well, there's an important need for everybody to use the same values. Milligrams per DL has historically been used for a long time. And then nanomoles per liter is sort of a mass analytic method, which is a bit more precise. And that's the way the field is going, is to report it in nanomoles per liter. <clears throat> this will take some time to, to transit into use in clinical practice. So right now, people need to kind of be familiar with, with both ways of reporting the amount of LP little a. So we've talked about LP little a being associated with premature heart disease. Have we touched on aortic valve calcification yet? That was mentioned briefly, but this is a lot of the work that Sam Tamikas has done at the UC San Diego. And what he's shown uh, is that high LP little a is indeed associated with aortic calcification and aortic stenosis. But recently, um, it's also been shown that there's a linear relationship to the rate of increase of aortic stenosis. Now, for cardiologists, this is really important. So it makes me do a couple things. Number one, we always auscultate our patients closely. But if I have a patient with high LP little a, I'll spend extra time and have them go through some maneuvers to try and bring out a murmur of AS. Um, and if I have a patient with aortic stenosis, I'll certainly measure their LP little a as a possible etiology of that. So the important thing is not only does it predict who might have aortic stenosis, but also the rate of progression, which is critical in determining what you need to do in terms of a surgical fix. Well, what are some of the treatments to lower LP little a? What can we do today? Well, actually there are a lot of treatments. Historically, nicotinic acid or niacin has been used by people in the lipid field for 40 years. We've been using this for a long time. And indeed, you can get the LP little a blood values to decrease as you ramp the nicotinic acid dose up. However, there's never been a study designed to test the hypothesis that lowering LP little a will reduce cardiovascular events. So some people will say, well, why do that? Because there's never been a clinical trial. And that's where each individual physician and patient have to make a decision. If I think LP little a is dangerous and you have coronary disease, then I'll try to lower it. And the drug that we use the most is nicotinic acid. Interestingly enough, estrogen is known to lower LP little a. And in the Women's Heart Study, women with high LP little a not on hormone replacement therapy had significantly higher cardiovascular events. But when they were on hormone replacement therapy, their event rate dropped right back down to everybody else's. And oddly enough, there's a paper in orchiectomized men given testosterone, and testosterone lowers LP little a. So of those, nicotinic acid seems to be the most reasonable. In the past, we've also used neomycin, which lowers LP little a, but can cause hearing loss, so you got to be careful of that. There's specific LP little a apheresis columns that can be used, uh, and significant reductions in LDL cholesterol with the new PCSK9 inhibitors actually lower LP little a, a little bit, about 10%. And as you'll probably hear about in the next podcast on this topic, is there's a whole new series of exciting drugs called antisense oligonucleotides, or ASOs, that specifically lower LP little a as much as 
So is there any evidence that lowering LP little a would be beneficial to patients? Do we know that? Do we know that that reduces their cardiovascular risk? No, like I said, there's never been a clinical trial that was designed to answer that question. One thing we do know, though, is that some markers of high LP little a, specifically a genetic marker called LP capital A, so all three letters LP and A are capitalized, is a variant that was discovered by Solera and looked at in the Women's Health Study in 25,000 women. And if you have this variant, your LP little a blood levels are higher, of course, uh, but if you're randomized to placebo, you have a significantly higher risk of a cardiovascular event. But if you have this genetic polymorphism and are randomized to aspirin in the Women's Health Study, your risk of a cardiovascular event drops right down to the average person. So that's some very supportive data that the use of this information uh, can be quite useful clinically in determining who should be on long-term aspirin therapy. Because the problem with long-term aspirin therapy, of course, is gastrointestinal bleeding, and you have to balance the risk versus the benefit. So patients with high LP little a, if it's not contraindicated, a recommendation could be to be placed on a baby aspirin a day due to the increased risk of thrombogenic events. And, and going back to your comment about um, similar to plasminogen. Yes, but this is true only in primary prevention. In secondary prevention, everybody gets aspirin. But in primary prevention, should you put somebody on aspirin for the next 30 or 40 years? And the problem is the increased risk of a serious GI bleed is the same as the reduction in cardiovascular events. So you're playing a one-to-one -one game. However, if people have high opalidal A, the significant reduction in risks far outweighs the increase in GI bleeding. So in the primary prevention population, knowledge about high LP little a or the genotype LP capital A can help you decide who should be on long-term aspirin. So it's fair to say that in your recommendation would be in patients that are in primary prevention, we do not know that they have atherosclerosis. If they have a high LP little a, the phenotypic marker that's measured, the LP little a that's measured in the plasma, would you recommend an LP capital A genotype test to evaluate their risk of being placed on aspirin versus the benefit? No, if I understand your question, if somebody has high LP little a, there's no need to do the LPA genotype test because you know their LP little a is high. And in fact, fewer people have the LPA genotype than do elevated blood levels. There are many reasons to have elevated blood levels of LP little a in many different types. So if the blood level is high, treat them with aspirin if appropriate. If the LPA genotype is positive, then you would consider using aspirin lifelong in the primary prevention population. Well, thank you for clarifying that. Um, I think what we'd like to do is set up a follow-up podcast and let you, and I know Dr. Tamikas is interested in giving us some, some further information. Was there anything in summary that you'd like to say about this? So, yeah, so I think we've covered a number of really interesting issues. So let me just rapidly summarize it. 
Uh, the first thing is that measuring LPLA is now in the U.S. guidelines. Previously, it was in the European Canadian guidelines. Number two, it's a common problem. 20% of the population have high levels and 33% of patients with coronary disease have high levels. Number three, it's associated with at least a threefold increased risk. So it's very important. It's as important or more important than cigarette smoking as a risk factor. Don't forget the family members. They're at a 50% risk for expressing it if your patient has high OPLA. And in combination with other risk factors, it dramatically increases the risk. And furthermore, even in people with low LDL cholesterol, if the LPLA is high, it still suggests increased risk. And we demonstrate that in the Jupiter study a few years ago. Treatments are available, although there's no study that's shown a reduction in cardiovascular events with treatment. And the LPLA is now moving into a new field of oxidized phospholipids and the association with aortic valve disease, which has real clinical implications. So I would look forward to having Dr. Sam Tsimikas do a podcast on all the new work with oxidized phospholipids and these great new drugs called antisense oligonucleotides, which really open up the possibility of a clinical trial that tests the hypothesis that lowering LPLA reduces cardiovascular risk. Well, I'd like to also add in summary um, to all our providers that are listening, um, you may or may not know LPLA received its ICD, its own ICD-10 code this past October, and that credit is due a lot to the LPLA Foundation and the many physicians and researchers that worked hard to achieve that. So LPLA is now recognized with an ICD-10 code. It's recognized in the guidelines, but you and I have known it's been around and important and been screening for it for many years. So thanks for listening to us today. There's more to come and hope your travels are safe wherever you are. Thank you.